Ho, ho, holy shit. That, that hurt. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, it's Tuesday evening. My ass still hurts from the, the spanking that I received over the weekend in the match. Um, obviously it didn't go quite as planned. No fucking shit, retard! So, um, yeah, I'll get it started. So, had the front line fury this weekend, and, um, we had some snow come in. Let's see, what was it, Thursday morning, I think? No, Friday, uh, Thursday night into Friday morning. Okay, so, um, a little bit of a late snow for us here in North Carolina. And after the snow stopped, the real cold weather came in. And uh, Saturday morning at the safety brief, it was a wind chill of five. Now, if you are anywhere south of northern Virginia, Maryland area, then you're probably not too used to spending an immense amount of time outside in five degree wind chill. I think it was about 17 degrees. There was snow on the ground, targets were white, um, but it was absolutely frigid. Now, I was warm as far as my attire, like uh, what I chose to wear. My feet were warm, face, neck, ears, body, core, arms, everything, but my fucking fingers, I had gloves. I had gloves. I had, I told, told you I had those pigskin, like lightweight gloves to shoot in and the pigskin winterweight gloves um, to just wear while I'm not shooting. And, you know, obviously the winterweight gloves are naturally heavier um, than the, the other ones, but it was not enough. I was unprepared. Hands were cold, but that I don't really think that was much of a factor in the day because uh, Sunday seemed to get worse, and it was perfect Sunday. It was chilly on Sunday, and in the morning, but it warmed up. I mean, by the 10 minutes, it felt like it was going up to a degree every 10 minutes, and it was great. Um, you know, by 11 o'clock, it was in the mid-50s. That's perfect shooting weather. Um but anyway, to uh, back to the match, um, I've got my course of fire here, and uh, Paul did a great job um, with the uh, match booklet, like he does at all of his two-day matches, and uh, gives you um, two pages. So it's like a spiral binder, and the top page, you look at it sideways, not straight up and down like a normal notebook would. And the top has the stage brief, and then the bottom page has the targets, gives you a line for your, you know, I guess predicted data. And then what right beside it, it says actually used. So if you, you know, saw that you were hitting like two tenths low or something like that, you would put the, you know, your dope minus two tenths in what you actually used beside it. And then it has a rounds fired little line as a hits line, a misses line, and then additional notes. So I did a pretty good job, as good as I could. I R-rode and shot the match. I've done it many times. I will not do it again. I, I'm really 
I'm really seeing the effects of feeling super rushed. I don't, everybody was in my squad. If you're listening to this and you're in my squad, you guys were awesome. Uh, Timmy, you, you definitely stepped up and helped. Brett, you stepped up and helped uh, on glass. And then, of course, my, you know, my best friend Jeff was in the squad. He definitely stepped up and helped. He's always trying to help help me um, succeed in anything I need and because he's a, a phenomenal shooter. He did really good. Um, it was really fun watching Jeff shoot this weekend. And um, he's always like, hey, what do you need? What do you need me to do to help you? Let's talk, let's talk this, you know, stage through. He's my, him and CL are my two, like, we're each other's accountability partners when it comes to shooting and everything. And uh, CL was actually ROing, you know, just strictly ROing for another squad. And uh, he had a blast over there with them. But uh, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, Jeff would jump on glass whenever I would need him. And it was awesome. And he, hell, he even loaded a few mags for me because, you know, I'm the RO. Okay. So I'm, you know, Paul forgoes RO shooters match fees to agree to RO and shoot. And so, you know, all of these guys paid their money to shoot the match. You know, I didn't pay, so I need to do my job. So I tried my best to stay on glass as long as possible. You know, my score be damned. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of my issues this weekend weren't, um, couldn't, I can't blame it on RO. And I'm not saying that it damn helped me at all to RO and not, you know, mentally or visually see myself going into every position, seeing the targets, seeing myself pull the trigger, um, before even picking up the first, you know, you know, the rifle on the first stage, you know, uh, I didn't get to do those things really. I was, you know, eyeballs were glued to glass. Um, and you know, I, about two shooters, like basically when I was in the hole was when I'd get off the glasses on the pickup. And as soon as I get done shooting, I'd put my rifle down, you know, basically jot a note in my uh, match booklet if I had a chance. And then I'd jump right back on glass. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, if I can't, if I don't feel like paying the money to shoot the match, I'm just going to either RO or stay home. Um. I love RO and it's fun. Uh, it's stress-free, you know, spotting when you're used to it, spotting is easy. I'm not, a lot of people stress over like, oh my God, people's scores are, you know, depending on me, my ability. Yeah, no, it's true. It is. And that's why if you don't know what you're doing, you don't need to RO. Well, you don't need a spot. You need to, you know, run the timer and, and all that stuff, be a safety officer, whatever. But, um, you know, when you're used to it, it's, it's no stress at all. Um, we didn't really have any issues at all um, as far as that goes. I hope I hope not, at least. Um, no, nothing was really brought up to me. So if you're in my squad, I hope, <laughs> I hope you uh, enjoyed me being your RO. But I had a blast with all those guys. But um, I'd say the the silver lining to this, because if you remember back in, the, in episode three, you know, I talked about what my normal issues are. Uh, for example, if you remember, I referred to a match last year at uh, Pigger Precision in Virginia. How I said that that was that match I shot the best that I remember shooting, but I scored horribly because I kept doing boneheaded shit and sabotaging myself 
and uh, and just li- li- leaving points right there on the table. And I, I only had one semi boneheaded moment the entire weekend, which is the first time I've ever done that in the three years I've been doing this. That's the one time that I can say, well, I really didn't fuck myself, really. Um, like, oh, I shot great, but I fucked myself. I didn't do that. No, I shot like shit this time. So I got to get it in the middle. I got to no bonehead, you know, moments and then fucking shoot good. And <laughs> I just got to get my shit together. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make excuse, excuses. I rushed a ton. Um, and I'm going to go through some of the stages and kind of what happened and what what was going on and maybe through talking through it, I won't do it again. And then maybe you won't do it just by hearing me uh, talk about it. But um, there was a lot of things like rushing on the clock when I had plenty of time rushing shots. Um, One thing that happened like multiple times was uh, missing on the swing, hit a target and then being in a rush, you know, not wanting wind to change because that's a, that was a factor too that I'll get into, but not wanting wind to change and, you know, sending it. And it's, I mean, the R, you know, Jeff or whoever was walking glass, like, dude, when you shot after you hit uh, that, you know, that last miss or whatever, like your bullet went right underneath the target. Like had it been sitting still you would have hit it. And I knew that obviously I'd, I'd, if I've done it once that day, then you would think that I wouldn't do it, you know, continuously. But if in my mind I'm, you know, getting slow, or if I feel like I'm shooting slow and I'm, I'm you know, running out of time and everything, I need to hurry up. And it come to find out the majority of times I didn't. I had plenty of time. I'm a fast shooter. It's just when I time out, it's because of I'm struggling with, well, fuck, I've got my bipod too low and I'm you know, digging my face into the, to the, uh, comb of the buttstock trying to get a sight picture. And that actually did happen to me a couple of times. It was my, my first, um, match shooting with this, uh, new bipod, the, uh, Accutac BR4. I mean, I've really only shot it prone, like here at my house and then verified dope, um, at distance, but not really the modified prone positions that are, you're shooting off of stuff like off of pipes at a different height, off of picnic tables that like you shooting off the seat and then shooting off the top and then the seat again, shooting off of uh, stacked up tractor tires. So, um, and I feel like I, I'll know this, I made mental notes and, and physical notes of on some of these things, the height of my bipod, because it's either you nail it, you're too low or you're too high. I mean, that's your only real options. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, bipod, how far out it is. If I'm sucking the bipod in closer to the uh, magwell on say example is, uh, if you were at the match, you'll know what I'm talking about the, uh, horizontally laid, um, covert, covert pipe that at, uh, what, what stage was that? I was like, what stage five, um, the, uh, pipes. The, the second position, uh, if you bring your bipod in, I saw a lot of guys that didn't use bipod at all. They just used like their big game changers and just basically shot the entire course of fire 
off of the game changers. And it is pretty fast, I'm sure. And there's a lot of movement in there because you've got to then like your third and fourth positions inside of a covert pipe and then come out of that for your fifth, you know, your third and fourth position in your fifth position, you come out on the outside of it onto a smaller pipe on the outside. So it's faster probably if you're doing that. But if you know where your bipod is supposed to be, then uh, like you shot that stage before or something similar, then, uh, you know, that entire stage can be ran modified prone. Bipod down, rear bag, then run it. So on the uh, positions there that the bipod wasn't that big of a, the bipod height and uh, how far in and out in or out it was, when it, whenever that wasn't an issue, I got hits on that stage. It was when I was, was fighting either being able to support the rear of the buttstock because the bipod was too uh, far uh, in or out or whatnot, or it was the bipod was too low and the uh, bag that I was using was too so big that I could not get a sight picture. I, I barely got it. Um, I just buried my face in it like with severe pressure, cheap pressure. And it was literally the reticle was shaking because it was like the bag was about to explode that I was pressing the, the buttstock into and, and broke a shot off and got a hit and then time ran out. But it took me a minute to get, um, to be able to just obtain the, the site, uh, the site picture of my target. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've got notes now so that in theory shouldn't be much of an issue moving forward. The more, the more you use your equipment, the more you learn it to where it's like you've seen every situation that you probably can and anything new is going to be somewhat similar. So you'll know, you'll know your bipod. People underestimate the value and importance of people say when talking about using a tripod, train with your tripod and, um, you know, because you don't want to not know your equipment, you know, or, you know, knowing your scope very well or this or that. The bipod really isn't that much addressed in that regard. A lot of people aren't, aren't really, um, they're taking for granted a bipod. Like, well, what about a bipod? No, a bipod is, is really, if you're using it, the bipod is everything because it determines whether you're going to see your target or whether you're going to be able to be stable or not, because if you have, if you have it too far, everybody has arca rails now. And so we're able to use bipods in situations that maybe, you know, five years ago, unless you had a pick rail running down the full length of your fore end of your chassis, then you couldn't use it there. You had to use a bag. Well, now we can just boom, slide the bipod back and utilize it on top of barrels, like upright barrels, vertical, uh, uh, long, long ways laid barrels, horizontal, uh, laid barrels, you know, we, we can use, and I, that's what I did. Um, at, we had a barrel stage like that and I, and I used that my bipod and it, it worked great. Um, that was one of the ones where I rushed, uh, I rushed my shots and my last two shots thinking I was trying to beat the buzzard in the bar. I was like, dude, yeah, that last shot was at 76 seconds. And these are 90 second part-time uh, stages. Uh, I have never shot a two minute part-time stage. I wish I would love to shoot a two minute part-time match. Um, but uh, it's just here in the Southeast, that's part of, 
of the shooting here because we don't have the you know 25 30 mile an hour winds uh, on any given day uh, but anyway your bipod it, it is it is super you know important to to know each notch of what how it can be applied to any situation where like okay two notches down is if I am uh, shooting from a tower type situation and then I, I can lift the buttstock up higher than the front end because I have to get that to get the angle down to the target. Now, if you shot the if you've shot at um, Frontline since Paul has added the second tower down at stage one, um, then you know if he has that 400 something yard target, uh, then you know that's that's quite an angle. I don't even know I don't have a cosine indicator on my uh, my rifle because it's so rare that. You know, we don't really have the elevation. It's pretty damn flat in North Carolina or just the east in general. Um, but, you know, you, you need to know because if you go and you have it the same way as you would maybe at our thousand yard deck uh, down at stage nine, then you may not be able to get that rear of that rifle up high enough to be able to get that, that shot off. And it's the same in the reverse. Um, you know, you may have to have that that bipod out maybe three or four notches to be able to go prone if the land um you know the lay of the land where the target is if it goes up kind of like at an incline well that means that target is higher as well it's higher than you so when you lay down you're going to have to be able to get that uh the rear of the rifle down lower than the front end obviously so it and then if you know, there's probably a, a, a setting on your bipod that is kind of like a universal for you can kind of, if it's a little bit elevated, you can make it work, manipulate your rear bag in a certain way or vice, you know, vice versa. If it's down, you might be able to maybe turn, turn your bag up, um, uh, like stand it up tall and to be able to, to get that elevation on the rear of the rifle to then look down. But there are times where there is, uh, it's that little middle of the road doesn't work. Um, and, and I obviously saw that again this weekend with this new bipod. Um, but you know, honestly it was my, I believe my biggest problem other than dealing with the wind there, it was just rushing and, and if, and not being able to see my hits. Now I did my best in a conscious effort to have a uh, good follow through to like we talked about to be able to, you know, through recoil, seeing your target and then hopefully seeing your splash and looking for a case of a miss or if you're catching the edge of a plate to be able to correct over close to the middle. And it was, I mean, snow covered burns, uh, the sun would uh, be back behind it. So it's a shadowed burn and you're not seeing, no, you're not seeing. So if you're not hitting the plate, you then you're guessing. Um, I mean, I was even on a spotting scope and I was having a lot of hard time. People say, Hey, where was I missing? I was like, man, your guess was as good as mine because it is just disappearing into that burn or into that snow or, you know, think things like that. Uh, there was, uh, Let's just go through some of the stages and we'll, we'll talk about because a lot of it applies to this. Uh, well, before we do that, I'll, sorry, before we do that, I'm talking about the wind. So the wind at Frontline, 
I would I feel safe to say that the wind never got over six miles an hour. So the average person listening to this, especially if you're in the Midwest or the western part of the country, you're like six miles an hour. Shit, I'd take that any day. Right. I understand. But the difference is, is and if you were at this match, you will attest to this. That wind was so switchy. When I mean switchy, I mean from second to second. It was between shots switchy. Uh, not to mention, you know, you would think an RO that is also shooting has an advantage. Well, you're getting to watch all the mirage. You're getting to watch, you know, all of the the vegetation move. You know, you're getting to, you're forced to observe more to be able to get a better wind call. That does not apply at frontline defense. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who, once I go into the explanation, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I know what he means because I've seen that before. Because it's, it's not the fucking Bermuda Triangle in Warrington, North Carolina. But it damn sure feels like it when you're shooting. So uh, if you want to shoot a hard match that doesn't have a lot of wind, come to a two-day. Come to a two-day at Frontline Defense. Uh, Paul is going gonna, is, is gonna to make use of his property, meaning... He knows he can't produce mass amounts of wind, so he's going to put you in a fucked up position on some fucked up shit, and I'll go over that in something in particular. Or he knows that the wind is so is so hard to call out there because you can make a good wind call on the mirage. For an example, there was a multiple. I'm not going to say it was one stage. It was multiple stages. I'm looking at the mirage the mirage is going right to left like literally like a five mile an hour right to left and everyone else has seen it as well i'm not the only one out there with glass you know watching or anything so there's a five mile an hour and then you'll see it boil and then boom and it was within 10 seconds eight eight seconds it goes from laying down five mile an hour mirage to boiling to left to right just like that that fast but the biggest pitch was i would be watching uh, or spotting hits and misses and shit and someone come up like well what's the wind doing i'm like well the mirage is going right to left you need to hold left edge left it you need to hold left edge the mirage has been lying all day today and i've heard other squads they were coming up like if if the squad behind us kind of caught up to us um, and they were like, yeah, the Mirage is going right to left, but we, we've been seeing that it's, it's a left, it's a left edge hole. And it's just, it's trickery. It's a sorcery is what is going on. I think Paul has somehow offered his soul to Satan to, you know, be able to have all this sorcery and trickery going on out there in Warrington. But uh, <laughs> he, um, uh, but it was, and then, so someone would, even me, and even I know this, because I've watched so much, it, I still would like, I want to test that right side, because I just, it's so hard for me to believe that it's, it, the wind's blowing left to right, I'm watching right to left, and I was focusing in midway and at the target, trying to catch any mirage, uh, all the mirage, and it was all the same, and I would literally go up there and blow it off the right side, like by two feet, three feet, because I held the right edge. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go left edge or, or off the left side. 
But oh yeah, so it the whole there was one stage in particular that the, that the mirage stayed a constant right to left, and the the hold was left edge. Another stage. Uh, it, this was I'll just jump around in the match booklet. This was this was day two, I believe. Hmm. Let me see. I think I had was 17, I believe. No. Nope, it was stage 16. There are your two shooting benches. One of them was pretty solid. The other one felt like Helen Keller built it. I'm pretty sure Paul took some screws out of it Friday evening. Um, but uh, it was two shots, 300 yards at a three-inch target. Two shots, 400 yards at a four-inch target. Two shots, 500 yards, five-inch target. Then you move over to the other one. Do same thing. It was a 12-round stage. On the 500-yard target in particular, okay, there's a big berm right behind it. So this is on a 500-yard dedicated range. So if, if you've been a front line, if you're not a member, if you're just a, uh, a guest on the weekend uh, coming to pay and shoot, you have access to 500 yards um, and the 500 yard berm stretches the length of, or shooting the width of that range. Um, and uh, anyway, so the target is dead center of that berm. Whenever I'd see that plate get smoked, the dust off that plate looked like it was getting sucked by a vacuum from the left. Okay, so that would make you, excuse me, that would make you think a right to left wind. If you held anything right of that left edge, other than sometimes when it would die and you'd get a straight up hold and you'd hold it straight up. Um, if you held anything, I should say right of center, you were going way off the target on the right side. And when you'd hit it, you'd see poof smoke go from our right to left, just Blow. So you look like a 10 mile an hour wind, how fast that smoke would come off that or dust would come off of that plate. What is that? How is it that pronounced on that smoke or dust off the plate, but yet you're holding left? As it was that kind of trickery stuff. So, yeah, you guys in the Midwest, y'all have a lot of wind and but I, I will say I, I haven't shot in the Midwest or out West, so I can't say it's from experience, but from what people, things I've seen, people I've talked to, yeah, it's a pretty much a constant wind, maybe gusting, but constant direction and not much different between you and the target, right? Where at frontline defense, there's lanes of trees separating each stage. And then the trees also go to different distances. So you may have a tree line that goes out 300 yards from the shooting position. And then the very next stage has one that goes 900 yards all the way down or that to the thousand yards. And then, so that changes, that changes how the wind moves. And also if you look at a topographical map of that area, I mean, it's just it really wavy up and down drops and, and kind of gullies and, and just, just between you and the target. And so that wind just moves in such funny uh, ways and directions and stuff where it can literally be, it lied to us. You know, if you were sitting there and you weren't shooting 
and you didn't know what people were holding, you would feel pretty comfortable that you could guess what your win call would be or what their win call was. But I'd say 80% of the time, 75% of the time, you'd have been wrong. Um, and that just, if you don't manage that well, which I did not, a lot of shooters did. You know, the, there was a lot of shooters who did very well this weekend. I just wasn't one of them. And I almost, I mean, I embarrassed myself, really. It was the worst finish I've had since my, after my first match. It is, it was, it was horrible. The, like I mentioned, the only silver lining that I have is at least I didn't give the points away like I have by shooting wrong targets, shooting it uh, out of order positions, or, or fucking just completely skipping a position, um, which I have done a couple times, um, or not having my dope, uh, or having the dope from my last stage on my rifle still, I didn't change it. I did none of that. The only thing I did, and we'll go over right now, it was stage one, but we didn't start stage one. That was one of our last stages of the day, actually, um, on Saturday. Uh, stage one, it was, all right, I'm going to read the course fire. Lane A is a 7x12 target at 430, at 370, and 500 yards. So it's all the same target. All targets are engaged one time, hit or miss, advance to the next target. Upon timer, advance to the top of the, uh, top of the middle barrel. Engage upper right vehicle. So on the right, at a further distance, was like a rusted-ass car that he's got out there. And the plate was on a T-post right in front of the backseat quarter panel, kind of in front of the rear tire. Um, uh, that's at 430 yards. Uh, the next target is the blue Dodge truck. So if you've shot a front line before, that the Dodge that has eaten a bunch of people's lunch, it is now something for you to shoot at. So you, now you get a little bit of payback and put some holes in the damn thing. Um, it was at 370, so it's closer. Um, it was inside of the driver's side window, so if you're shooting the driver. Uh, next target's upper left at 500 yards. It was the Tahoe. And it was in front of the hood of the vehicle. Um, and repeat same sequence two more times, starting at upper right vehicle and working clockwise. So it's 430, 370, 500, 430, 370, 500, 430, 370, 500. So, okay, that's close enough uh, yardage to do all holdovers. That was definitely, I don't remember seeing anybody dial, uh, which was the right move, not the dial. But when you're dyslexic like me and have to put up this shit, me and Jeff did everything right before my time to shoot. Now, I probably had about two shooters before me when I came off the spotter and then kind of rushed over there and we wrote my dope down, kind of went over it. So my dope for the, the first target was 1.8. Dope for my second target was 1.3. Dope from a third target was 2.3. So I my goal was to hold, to dial for the middle target the shortest distance. So I'd only have a half mil hold for the first target and then a what's the difference? A like a one mil hold for the second or the third target, right? 
So what does what does David do? David gets up there. Aura asked me if she was ready. I look at my scope. And I have this written down on a card. I have it written on my duck card like I mentioned to you that I would. Maybe not enough information, but enough to where if I looked at it and read it right now, I would I would get the right picture in my mind what I was supposed to do. I'm looking at it, I'm like, wait, 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 why do I have 1.3? I need to do, I need to put 1.8 on my scope. No, I was supposed to put 1.3 on my scope, which is where it was. We had it at 1.3. We had it on the right one. The fact that the my zero, where it would be a straight up hold elevation wise, was not the first target is what fucked me up. Because so many times, and I'm sure a lot of you have too, I have shot a lot of stages that were holdover stages. Well, what do you typically do? Now, I don't like holding under. So I, that's something that I don't do because that would fuck me up for me. I'm not saying it doesn't work and you shouldn't do it. But the way my brain works, so that's very important. Learn and, and realize how your brain operates. That would really mess me up doing holdovers. Um, so I'd be in a worse position than I'm in right now. But the fact that, I mean, I've shot so many stages to where I die for my first target and then I just hold over, uh, hold over for the rest of the targets all the way out. No problem. I, I actually enjoy holdovers. Uh, one of my best stages uh, this weekend was a holdover stage. I missed one, I dropped one because of uh, rushing. It was stupid. I shouldn't. I had plenty of time on a super easy rooftop. I should have smoked it and cleaned it. I dropped one. But anyway, so I was like, oh, I got down for the first target. Not thinking that, well, hey, dumbass, the second target is the shoulder one. So I literally didn't even realize once that timer went off, I felt good. My, my position was good. Uh, I couldn't see my impacts because it was going either over my targets or getting sucked up inside the truck. I ended up finding it getting one hit. And then it was my second to last. She will say it was uh, it was a nine round stage. It was shot eight. I got the hit. And I was like, okay, cool. And then go to my next target and held the right dope on the on the last shot, but blew the fucking wind call. So I got a one on that stage. Okay, if you get a one or a zero on any stage. Your your score is really hard to come back from that. It's really hard to to make up that kind of lost ground. Now a three to a five, you can make that up. That's not a problem. Um, some stages, hell, I would I would say you give me a five right now, I won't even shoot it. Um, and I'll go over that stage in particular. Um, uh, let's see. That was one I had marked. I went and marked through the majority of the ones that I wanted to discuss with you guys. I'm not really going to go to the ones I did well in because that's not what matters. I don't really care about what I did well in because if I did well in them, more than likely I'll do well in them in similar situations again. I, I care more about the ones I need to work on and, and learn from my mistake. Mm, uh, okay, the first stage of the day for us on Saturday, mind you, I told you it was frozen, everything was snow on the ground, and like 17, 18 degrees. The Camry, you shoot off the hood of a Camry. And then you move the shoot off the trunk, I believe. Move shoot off the trunk. Yeah, shoot off the trunk. I go and get on the hood, and the hood is frozen, right? Frosted, frozen. 
my rifle then i'm trying to get it at the most level position on the hood which is up north towards the top of the hood and boom my right bipod leg slides down behind between the hood and the windshield where the windshield wipers are and the defrost uh bits are yeah that's where that's where my bipod leg went but then i was like all right well at least it's not a slide here let me try and see if i can't camp my rifle to get it back plumb you know, bipod, bipod be damned. If I can get my rifle plumbed, but the bipod legs are squared to the target, just canted, then I'll roll with it. It was not happening. I could not cant my rifle enough. So I had to pick it up and move it. So it ate a bunch of time. Um, I ended up getting five, uh, five out of 10 hits on, no, excuse me, that's five out of 12 hits. No, that's not true. That stage was changed to 10 rounds, not 12. Um, so yeah, I'd drop I'd 50% on that. Uh, okay. The tires, uh, the tractor tires. Now this stage in particular has eaten my lunch multiple times when I did not take the correct bag to use as a front support. All right. So Paul has recently built decks at every stage where you would be laying like, working in either rock or dirt or mud or whatever. It's now these nice wooden, you know, deck, uh, I don't even know how big they are, like 10 by 12 decks. Great. Um, they're only about a foot, two, two feet off the ground. Well, before that was there, the tires, these are big tractor tires, but they're, you know, stacked like, uh, like a snowman. So from bigger, medium, small, uh, I, if I use my normal front bag that I would say on a barricade, which is my, my wee bad mini fortune cookie, the, the wax uh, canvas mini fortune cookie, uh, the target is too high for me to be able to see it um, without me hanging off the back of the tire angling the rifle way up. I could, you know, if you if you got the right bag or if you end up being able to use a bipod, then you can actually get your elbow down on that tire and, and get pretty damn stable and the times that I've used the correct bag I did well on the stages uh, on that stage but I'm like all right well look the uh, um, the tires are elevated now I'm not gonna have that issue like I can just run my either a game changer a full-size game changer lay down flat or my mini fortune cookie and I should be able to see the target wrong he had the target further up at a longer distance than what it's ever been that I remember shooting. And so it then just it negated the gain of the height of the deck. So if he had had the target where uh, it normally has been or shorter, oh, I'd have been Gucci. I'd have been fine. Uh, plenty of elevation on the, uh, the front of the rifle to be able to, to get a sight picture. Yeah, he had the target at... What was it? It was like 567, and it's up on and hanging from an A-frame. And so the target is higher. I still fought those tires again with a full-size game changer. Now, if I had taken, had, had thought about it and been able to have that cognitive moment to problem solve on the clock, under the stress of the clock, if I had taken the game changer, and turn it up on its end and like sandwich it up to the tire that the next up level of tire that kind of like sandwich it up to like a wall mind you 
or you know, and had the rifle on top of that, I'd have been fine. I didn't do that. I kept fighting the rear end of the rifle to try to get the elevation. Super shaky. Uh, missed. Let's see my notes here. I I, I got a, a damn one on it, and I felt lucky to get the damn one. Uh, I could. I got written here just like chicken scratch because I'm such a rush. Uh, couldn't see splash. Didn't call enough wind. Bag not high enough. So I know going back through it, I remember what was happening. Um, definitely, I could not because I was so shaky. There was no way I was going to see anything through recoil. I wasn't going to be able to see my my um, splashes on my misses, and uh, it it just it was just bad. Um, you know, these are all things that you just have to know going into it only from experience. You. You definitely, they kind of more so get ingrained in your head in theory when you're the one that fucked it up and did it rather than someone just telling you about it. It doesn't really stay with you until you've done it. So now I'm telling you, Paul, if you're listening to this, I don't give a shit what you do. The next time you put them fucking tires in, I'm fucking them up. I'm going to kill them tires, bro. I got I got the plan. I got the plan. Okay, the pipes, I mentioned to you guys already about the bipod height. Um, let's see. Um, all right, the uh, stairs, I got five out of five on that because it was a three, yeah, it was four targets. They're kind of in the shape of a T. Your first target was at the bottom of the T. Second target was kind of in the middle. And then your two back targets were the two ends of the T, you know, to whatever. And those were 374, 467, 729, and 733. Same dope for the two rear targets. So it was, in theory, an easy, I mean, and you were on a, uh, like a set of stairs with a platform elevated, and you were prone. And so that's easy enough, right? Um, but uh, I was holding too much wind, and then, uh, for some reason, I felt I pulled a good shot on the last target and was, uh, I think Jeff had told me through this look to the spotter that I had just sailed right over top of the target. I'm shooting factory ammo. The, the horny stuff, like I mentioned to you guys, it, it's, it shoots great, but it's, I mean, it's not, you know, dasher hand loads. It's just not. But that could have been me. I felt there was a good trigger press. I didn't think much that my dope was off at all this weekend. Other than one stage that I will mention that this phenomenon that, that happened with my entire squad. Um, that didn't happen with other squads the rest of the day. And it was our first stage on day one, uh, day two. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, so it was just, yeah, you, you know, you're holding too much wind, expecting there to be more wind at the 730-yard targets than there was at the uh, the 375 and the 467, and, and it turned out that it wasn't. Um, and then I know, I, I do remember that the 467 target, I hit the first one, and it was one of the ones that I shot on the swing you know, when you're feeling yourself, right? When you're feeling good, like I'm gonna burn this bitch down, and then you just start rushing, boom, boom, like you're super stable. Uh, you know, you could just if it was a like a target that wasn't it was more like static, it wasn't a real reactionary target. 
you know, you could just beat a hole through that plate. I was kind of feeling that, and then I missed it on the swing. That was one of those ones that was just like, God, I wish I could get that back and just wait because I had all the time in the world on that stage. And I've got to remember that. You've got on these prone stages, if you time out on a prone stage and you're not moving, you got to evaluate what you're, you're shooting slow. And I'm not a slow shooter. I'm, I need to slow down. Um, let's see. Skill stage. Jesus, this is my bread and butter. I mean, I love run. I, I run skill stages so much here in my reloading room. I can, I feel like I can almost do it in my sleep. And, um, I dropped two in rushing. It was the same thing. Boom. Targets flapping around, swinging and in rushing. That's it. There was no win. It was a dead hole, a dead center hole. No win. Obviously, everyone knows what the APRS skill stage is, 400 yards, 10-inch target. The thing looked like a thing looked like I was shooting at the moon. It looked so big. Um, and I, you have no real – if you practice it, you have no real excuse of missing a single target because you can – yeah, it's a tiebreaker thing, but if you miss, then, then you're not – you're already throwing yourself out of tiebreaker other than for a lesser score. You know, I'd rather just get my eight hits at, say, 59 seconds, 60 seconds, as opposed to six hits at, what was I, I think, 40-something, 48 or 50-something seconds. Uh, you know, I should have I should have slowed down. That was me. And those little two shots hitting this or that, when you get have stages where you get a one or a zero or a two, when you then have other stages that you should excel in and then you drop one or two here and there, they start to really compound. You can't really come back from it too much. Um, and uh, let's see, the roof line, that was the one that I mentioned that it was, I, I dropped one because I was, uh, actually I had written here, maybe not. I had a written here, I missed one because I missed a wind change. Held the same hole went off the other side of the target. That happened more than one time this weekend. Oh, see, which one was this? Uh, I don't even remember. Oh, this is just a prone long range. No, the long range stages I did great on. That was those are my best stages really for the weekend. Whether the long range stages, um, yeah, there's really no need to go over that. The Mirage was wicked. So if you if you really if you didn't hit, I would. That was later in the day. Uh, when it started to heat up and all of that moisture from the snow and the, and the, the, the wet ground, I mean, Mirage was wicked. I mean, I couldn't even really call hit uh, misses for people when they were done shooting with me on, on spotter. I, it was really hard for me to see um, anything other than hits. And some of the ejections a 95 grain dasher as well. And if, if we didn't have hit indicators on the full-size Ipsic at 1,000, I don't know that I'd have seen the plate move. So thank goodness that Paul has those on his long range stages. Um, did find on that one. Uh, the barrels on day two, it was your typical sideways barrel, laid down, shoot two from there. Target was 485, eight inch plate. So two and away target basically. Um, well, I guess a little under two and away. Um, two and a quarter in away. And you shoot for the first barrel, you go prone, 
go to the, the barrel laying long ways, like perpendicular to the target, or I guess, yeah, perpendicular to the target, parallel. I don't know, the long ways. So it's like long ways with the target. So, and then you shoot prone after that, and then you go to the standing barrel shooting off the top. Um, I only missed, I think, one off the barrel. Uh, the one of the first two barrels, I hit all the prone shots. No, that's not true. I missed one prone um, because of another swinging target issue. I was just because you know, it was very easy to see those. Uh, I mean, it would get stable on on the target, so I was kind of just boom, 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 boom. It's a lot of movement too. They're probably uh, maybe 15 feet apart, maybe, and having to go up and down, up and down out of the prones. Um, and then, so then I get to the second barrel, the top of the barrel, super stable, thinking like, shit, I got to hurry to burn these off and miss both of them. And that's when he told me, I mean, I had 14 seconds left after my last shot went off, which is disheartening. Um, I want to see if there's any more really important ones I want to talk over. Um, yeah, a lot of sixes, sevens. Five and then the really ones that hurt. Okay, here's one. Learn your limits. 739 yards. Sam, I lied to you. I had those, those uh, Sam fearlessness. I had those target sizes wrong. It was a six inch plate, it was the first one, eight, 10, 12. You got to shoot and hit the first plate to move. You got to hit it twice to move on to the next plate. Now, at 739, prone. So <clears throat> this was our first stage day two. Now it was still probably 28 degrees, crisp, beautiful, no mirage whatsoever. Um, and you know, my, my Creedmoor, my six Creedmoor is a half in the way gun and out to even out to distance typically. Um, so I wasn't really concerned. I was like, man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to shoot two. If I miss the first two, I'm going to go shoot. The big plate, I'm gonna burn one on the far plate to get the wind call and then go back to just salvage points on that stage. I was the third shooter um, for that stage and uh, the first two shooters zeroed. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, everybody was high. I was, I was seeing some of the misses, but because of the position of the sun, it was really hard to. It was really hard to see behind the gun of where your misses were. It was still hard on their spotters. It was it was definitely hard. Um, it was definitely hard behind the gun. So I get up there and I'm like, all right, well, it's there's there's no fucking wind. There's no way there could be any wind. And boom, nothing. Boom, nothing. I go to burn one on the 12 inch target, held straight up on it, hoping to catch an edge at least. Boom nothing i'm like oh my god what in the world well i don't really want to burn another one on that big plate i want to try and just at this point want to go maybe i maybe i planned this or gained this the wrong way if you're a better shooter than i am then and this is the wrong way to do it let me know shoot me a message and do that um and let me know i'm wrong so i just wanted to then like i'm just going to go hopefully just stab in the dark and find this first target and boom, zero, nothing. 
eight of us, I think, is either eight or nine. I think it was eight. Eight of us out of our squad of what, 12, zeroed that stage. Now, the, I'd say it was, yeah, eight of us zeroed. Yeah. Okay. We were all 0.3 high. Almost everybody was like 0.3 high. Now, I know Mirage can, Mirage can, uh, um, affect that, but I, I don't, there was no Mirage. It was first thing in the morning and still cold. There was no Mirage. And, uh, I don't know. And so Jeff, he was, I think last or second to last to shoot. Smart man. He dialed two tenths off his dough. Dialed two tenths off of it. And then held bottom edge of the plate. Boom. Center impact hit. So Jeff did pretty well on it. I remember what he got. I don't know if he cleaned it or not, but he if he didn't, he missed very few. But he had to to dial he had basically had to take three tenths off his duck. Um and not many people in our squad got more than three or four hits. They finally found it and then, then bam the rounds are up or you know, time is up. So later in the day, I was asking other squads or, and I asked CL about his squad about, was anybody high on that, on that stage? Was anybody high? Was anybody uh, shooting high on that stage? Um, he said, no, shit, our stage. He said, Keith Baker, man, about drilled a hole in the damn, he shot one burner. He told the RO, I'm going to shoot a burner at the big target first. Smart man. You're the man, Keith. Burnt, boom, found his wind call. And then drilled a fucking hole in those plates, like dead center of those plates, all the way down the rack. Boom, done. Good job, Keith. You shot well this weekend. Um, but yeah, I was asked like, no, everything was fine. But why was why was everybody in my squad high that on that stage? If you know the answer to this, please tell me. That way, I can prepare for it and look for it and know going forward. I don't have all the answers. If I had all the answers, I probably would have won this weekend. And I did everything but win this weekend. But anyway, um, I, I guess that's really about all the important stuff is about as far as the, the – nope, that's not true. I got one I want to tell you about. Paul, whoever built – whoever your construction guy is, is the spawn of Satan. So Paul had all this construction going on out there, like I mentioned. And uh, he had a whole bunch of scrap pieces of six by sixes. So the guy was like, hey, you may build something for you guys to shoot off of. And mind you, this guy is not a shooter, right? He didn't do this. So he's just a construction guy. And Paul's like, yeah, fuck it. Good. You know, have fun. Knock yourself out. Make something. He makes this concoction of a barricade, I guess you want to call it. Six by sixes. Funky ass angles, small portholes, um, and just a nightmare. Now, a couple people did pretty well on it because they are smart and have maybe shot stuff similar to this, and they did well. But man, uh, like Jeff, Jeff got a six on it, and he was he was thrilled with a six. Um, I think I got a fucking two on it, but um, there were two. 45 degree angles that you are standing and shooting off of. Now, mind you, this is also isn't a two by four or even a four by four that you can kind of get a good grip on. 
if you can get a good grip on a six by six, you got some man hands, bro. Um, but it, you know, a lot of people that shot well on those 45s, they kind of cooked up a, a little scheme of how to, how to run it really well. And if I'd have known, thought about it or had that, whatever they were using, um, then I, I would have, I'd have happily done so. Um, but I will say this, that stage in particular, they're the third position was shooting off of a, a small triangle shaped porthole that is, is too low to really like crouch or knee is definitely too low to kneel, but you need to be on your belly. But if you run a bag, you're going to be, you're not going to be able to see into your scope, right? So your elbows, nobody's elbows are high enough to really see through it. Now, if I was shooting my AI, of course, with my Accuracy Obsession chassis, if I had had it in my Accuracy International AT chassis, then I would have. There's no way I've been able to run a bag. I'd have to. I'd have to go prone in front of the auxiliary plate and be way off the, the back of the uh, the barricade, supporting it near the further end of my rifle. Um, I put nothing up there ran that magwell into the bottom of that porthole and i no rear bag no it was because it was too high for any bag that i had for rear support but man i'll tell you i was super stable in that position um i don't even remember what stage number that was that was an evil stage paul that was evil and i know you're you're already already talking about you know, dudes bitching about it and shit. It's just hard, man. I mean, put it this way. I know that thing ain't moving. I'm going to be practicing off that bitch. You wait. I'm going I'm to uh, make that stage mine. Uh, let me see. Where are we at? Which is... It was one of the... Yep, 6x6. Six six. That's the name of it. Uh, 645 yards, a 10-inch plate. And obviously no tripods were allowed is explicitly stated in the rules um they were just funky funky ass positions uh anyway now that's enough of the course of fire and how i ate shit on it because my like i said my ass still hurts from getting kicked um if parker if you're listening to this i had a young man named parker um He's shot, I think his first match was the Guardian last year at Frontline back last March or April when Phil uh, Vallejo came and stayed with me and shot the match with me. Um, that was his first match then. And he's you know, been trying to shoot matches since then, and he's just really getting into it. He's six foot 15. I don't know. He does tall as shit. 16 uh, and one of the most polite, well-mannered, well raised and good. I mean, I don't really know a good head on his shoulders. I should say his parents were there. Bravo parents. And I told them, I went and talked to them, uh, after the matches over with, I wanted to make a point to go talk to his parents, but he's a boxer. He boxes. He just had a fight, um, here recently. And I don't, I, I guess he, I don't know how he did, but I didn't ask him how he did, but, um, he would come to me and, and I don't know why he'd ask me because it definitely wasn't because of my example of shooting. That's for damn sure. Um, but he, uh, I would try my best to anything I saw 
I could help him with to, to offer that. And he really, really received it very well. He was very appreciative and well-mannered. Um, I basically told him, look, you're a good shooter. Your problem is your movement in between positions or getting into and out of positions. If you were to move faster, move fast, shoot slow for now. But definitely move fast in between. So he would time out almost every – he'd get some good hits, some really good hits. So he was – he was definitely taking what he was seeing and applying it to his next shot very well for a new shooter. And I was very proud of that. Um, but his, his big, his really the only hole in his game that I saw was some of the positions he chose, meaning like a sitting position where he could have kneeled. And even though he was tall, he still, I believe could have kneeled and then gotten out of that position, just spring up straight in your legs or standing to move to the next position, as opposed to then having to, to, you know, get up off your, off his rear end to then to his feet to, to move. It ate up a lot of time. Um, but he was such a pleasure to shoot with. He was funny. He would come over and jump into conversations or I would call him over and, and talk to him and ask him about what he, what he saw, what he thought, and you know, um, you know what his plan was, you know, for that stage, and and I told him, look, anything on, anything of mine that you see that you don't have that you want to try or you need, you don't even ask me. Just take it and use it and put it back when you're done. I said, just it's what what I what you see here of mine for the next you know eight hours is yours. So use it. And uh, he was really, really receptive to everything that anybody would tell him. Such a good attitude. Um, and I hope he's listening. I told him about the podcast, and he said he wanted to start. He wanted to listen to it. So um, he got to talking to me about you know what I did for after the match was over with. I'm sitting here drinking a beer, and asked me what I did for a living. Told him like I own rental property and and manage my family's rental property, and. Uh, you know, he was at 16, starts to talk to me about how to start getting into that and like, what's the best way, you know, all this stuff, like giving his input on like, well, like, oh yeah, that does, that sounds smart. All this stuff. at 16, what were you doing at 16? I know what I was doing. I'm not going to put it here on a podcast for the world to hear, but I know what I was thinking about at 16 and, uh, and some of the things I was doing. I damn sure won't worry about investment properties. I mean, where is this kid's head at? That's awesome. And so, like I said, I went to his parents. I'm like, look, you guys need to foster this because he. I think if he really enjoys it, which I think he does, then he has the potential to be really, really good at this because he's a good shooter. He's just he's not using a sense of urgency and all that stuff. And I said, you've done a tremendous job of raising this young man. I said, my son is four, and I worry about him burning my house down every day. And I just hope that, that you know, I do as well with my son as you guys are, have done with him. He said, you know, yeah, well, you know, he can be that, that, though, too. I'm like, yeah, I know that. But at 16, I was never this well-behaved and well-mannered. You know, I was a dumb young punk at 16. This man is no young punk. You know, this, this young man is a... A, a stellar representation of what a youth shooter 
should aspire to be like. And I don't even mean just the skill, but just the mindset this young man has. But he's a good shooter, and he just all he needs to do is just speed up a little bit and and you know think about how to negotiate a a, a, a prop maybe differently or how to get in and out of that position better, more efficiently. He needs to be more efficient. He needs to be more efficient with his movement. And his, I said, dude, you'll, your scores, you're going to jump from wherever you land this weekend to 30 spots ahead of that because just if you learn efficiency in your movement. And uh, he was such a, and then I told him, I said, look, I, I don't want for anything, and I, I have everything I need. I damn sure don't deserve a thing off of that prize table. When you hear my name called, as far down that list as it ever may be, you go walk up there. I'm going to tell Paul that you're going to do that. So you stay up here and you listen. Um, you may have a beard by the time my name gets called. But, you know, go there and find something off of the prize table. And then when your name gets called, where you then you go there again and go get something off that prize table. I didn't deserve shit, didn't want shit, didn't need shit. So, you know, it's that that to me was you know parker and that that whole um interaction throughout the weekend with him and trying to and trying to help him it it made me eating a bucket of dicks shooting it made work it made it worth it because i'm hoping that the next match that he shoots that maybe one thing that i told him he'll remember it and he will apply it and he'll be like huh that worked that helped and then sees an improvement on his scores. That's that was that was great, and I was really excited about that. And I hope to see you again, look, Parker, in the next match, whether it be in Virginia or in Warrington. If you see my name, squat up, squat up with me, find me, squat up with me. I, I would love to shoot with you again, brother. Um, uh, but uh, anything, anyway, that's that's what it felt like. It definitely was a disappointment in my performance because I felt very confident going into the weekend and felt like shit coming out of it. Um, but it's not going to be the last time that happens, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's happened to either. Um, but it then ta- it takes to to be able to uh, excel. I have to then take these lumps and then turn them into opportunities to learn and better myself. So that's what the plan is. My next match is the or match at Peacemaker up in West Virginia. It's the end of March. Uh, I'll be shooting Dasher. Uh, shooting Dasher in that one, probably the 105s. I don't know. The 105s and the 95 team case. Um, but... Uh, that that's the same rifle, just different barrel, different caliber. Um, let's see what else. And then the following weekend is the guardian that I cannot wait for. I love shooting the guardians cause it's photo kids. Um, I love it when, when Gary and Brittany come to town and it's always a fun time and I'm bringing a ton of beer for that match. And, uh, because that to me, the time after the shooting is, more fun than the shooting itself. And, um, that's going to be fun. Anyway, a little bit of gear change. Uh, the rifle ran 
it ran great. I, I cannot complain anything about anything I ran. Um, it was the dumbass running it was the issue. I did, however, today, if you are remember or care about the my rifle or whatever, and remember seeing it on Sniper's Hide or Instagram, the, the AI, I got in my AX buttstock from Mile High. Uh, Mike sent it to me, and I got her on. I'm looking at her right now. She is curing. And then tomorrow, I'll throw the skins back on. And um, I've got uh, Sam, uh, the Accuracy Obsession low-rise cheek piece for that stock on the way from Anarchy Outdoors. So if you need anything from Accuracy Obsession that he has for Action National rifles and stuff, you need to go get it at anarchyoutdoors.com. They've got, they basically are his distributor, I guess. They sell his shit. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it looks great, man. This this AX bus stock is gonna be sweet. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm not gonna say it's gonna improve anything other than comfort, maybe, and and maybe the uh, the butt stock, the actual butt pad placement. I can raise it up higher because I feel like that is what I need is a little bit higher, um, and um, and maybe a little canted in. And, uh, but it does, it definitely looks bitching. So it'll be cool. I'm excited about it. I had somebody on Cypress Hide that wanted a, an AT folder. And I took that as an opportunity that, well, if I was ever going to get an AX buttstock, now's the time to do it because I have a buyer to buy what I have. So it's just not sitting in a drawer collecting dust where it can help pay for the AX buttstock. So anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy it, Doug. If you're listening to this, uh, just send it out today. You'll get it Friday. Oh, uh, that's about all. That's about all I got. Um, uh, I guess that'll wrap up episode four, the hot wash for the nightmare of a match that I had this weekend. Doesn't always go your way. If it always goes your way, it's not fun. Um, anyway, if any of you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to hit me up in the comment section on Instagram. Oh, another announcement before I forget. I did something yesterday that I thought to myself I would never do. That was crank the old Facebook page back up. So if you want to find me on Facebook, I am there and I'll be posting virtually everything I post from Instagram. I'll also just you know, auto post it to Facebook as well. I mean, I just, just got my thing back cranked up yesterday and the past two days, I bet you I've had over a hundred friend requests from shooters. I don't even know how they're even finding me or, or anything on Facebook because I haven't even, you know, announced anything about Facebook, but man, oh, you keep it up guys. Cool. I hope y'all are liking the content and, and are listening to the podcast. And also, hopefully, this podcast sounds better. I know the others have been super damn quiet and were annoying because it, you then turn your radio to something else. It probably your drums out to hear me. That was when I was recording on the uh, stupid little factory recorder, voice recorder on my laptop. Tonight is my first night recording on Audacity. So I checked the levels. 
And as far as on my end of what I replayed before I started recording, I recorded some test tracks to see how it sounded. It sounded great here. So all I can do is post it to um, Podbean, hope that it sounds better there. If it doesn't, I'll fiddle fart around with this thing again to see if I can't get the levels right. Um, but I am aware of the audio situation on the first three episodes. And for that, I apologize. But... Um, this one should be better. Anyway, appreciate it, guys. Uh, follow me on Instagram, just underscore FN underscore Senate and uh, underscore podcast. I changed it. So, yeah, underscore podcast. And uh, find me on Facebook and hit me up over there. If y'all got anything else y'all want to talk about, any questions, any, any material or content that you guys want covered, um, feel free to hit me up and we will talk about it on the next episode. Um, I've got a few people, um, I need to line up to do a Skype or zoom, uh, interview podcast type situation and we'll get that done and, um, bring you some way where you're not just listening to my dumbass talk all the fucking time. Uh, I know you're getting tired of hearing my voice, but for now you're stuck with me anyway. Appreciate it. Talk to y'all next time.